This is Infidel One. Offending Coyote Down. Offending Coyote Down. Roger that. Welcome to Trappin' Radio. We're proud, organic, free-range, wild fur farmers of North America. Let me tell you a little story about how I was raised. Every day work, every day pray. God, family, friends, yeah, everybody sins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Help folks in need, don't fall for greed. A jealous man is weak, so think before you speak. If you love them, let them know. If you hate, let it go. Fast can be fun, but sometimes you need slow. God is all good, the devil is so real. So listen up, y'all, because this is how I feel. I won't back up, I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job, but not my guns Tax my check till I ain't got none Except for the good Lord of above I answer to no one Now let's cover our sponsors. They do a lot to help support Trapping Radio. So I'm asking you guys out there and gals, to help support our sponsors as they keep trapping radio on the air. First sponsors, Oki Cable and Trap Supply. Jeb's the owner of this. He's out of Oklahoma, super guy. You'll not meet anybody nicer. It's somebody you're gonna wanna deal with. You can reach him at OKTrapSupply.com. You can give Jeb a call at 918-429-4648. Not only does he do trap supply guys, he's a fur buyer, so if you're around the Oklahoma or surrounding states, give him a call with your fur. When you need stuff, give him a call and he'll get it out to you as soon as he can. Our second sponsor is F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Guys, if you're into trapping fur, hunting fur, chasing fur with dogs, you're not gonna be able to think of hardly anything that you can't get from F&T. You can reach them at fntpost.com. You can also give them a call at 989-727-8727. Whatever you want, F&T's got it. Wildlife Control Supplies. Proven solutions for wildlife control. Delivering value, expertise, and products to the wildlife individual. If you're in the ADC business, control business, even fur trapping, you need to look at these guys' website. Top-notch company, have everything you would want, even the odd stuff that ADC guys are looking for. You can reach them at wildlifecontrolsupplies.com. You can give them a call at 877-684-7262. International number is 860-844-0101. If you're a wildlife control professional, you need to have wildlife control supplies as one of your favorites on your computer or your phone because when you come across something that you need specialized equipment, Alan will get it right out to you. Now let's go traffic. Toting son of a gun, yeah, I'm hell on the heart, just a rebel on the run. Scared, don't know it, fear, don't feel it. The truth is the light, sometimes you gotta fight. Good beats bad, right beats wrong. I'm a ballroom preacher and this is my song. I'm climbing for the top, representing for the country. I'm the people's champ, right out to dead camp. Shotgun toter, Republican voter, Hank Jr. supporter, let's protect our border. 
to hell with anyone who don't believe in the USA. Cause this is what I say. I won't back up. I don't back down. I've been raised up to stand my ground. Take my job, but not my Hello everyone, this is Clint Locklear with Trapping Radio. I'm up in New York and uh, we have a unique guest today because he's talking about an animal that I don't know that much about. But believe it or not, you are uh, you, you're living something right now no one has ever seen. Because we do a lot of interviews in this van and no one's ever seen it washed before. It is pretty dirty. I'm not No, not the inside, the outside. Well, we're not getting carried away with the washing. <laughs> But we were staying at a lady's house. We did an Airbnb, and I got yep. to thinking, because Norm and them get, used to get on to me. I had mold growing okay. on the side of this thing, and I'm like, if I pull up in someone's yard with mold growing on a Chester with molester white van, <laughs> it's going to scare them to death. So we actually watched it. So you're the first person to ever be in a washed van while we do an interview, so you should feel privileged. I do. I do. I do. I feel special. <laughs> I do. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, why don't you introduce yourself, where you're from, kind of background and stuff like that, and then we'll, we'll start getting into the, some of the questions. Okay. Okay. Um, my name's Andrew Hewat. Um, my family owns Wildlife Control Supplies. And I've been practicing y'all's name, by the way. Yeah? Yeah. Have you gotten it right yet? Hewat. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, my family owns Wildlife Control Supplies, um, which I work for. Um, I've been trapping my whole life. As far back as I could remember. How old are you? 35. Okay. Um, my father used to carry me in his pack basket when I was a little, you know, bef you know, before I could even walk. So I've been out in the woods my whole life. And uh, I just, I trap Fisher. You trap Fisher. I trap Fisher and, you know. Now you're, you live in... I'm in, I'm in eastern Connecticut. Okay. Um... A lot of woods. Not we don't have much farmland out there anymore. It's all turned into subdivisions. Um, so we just you know little blocks of woods all over the place. A lot of a lot of nice rivers and creeks for me. Do you Maine. stay there? Or do you go to the states around you? Just pretty small states up there, right? I stay in Connecticut for the most part. I haven't left it in the I don't know. I want to say like three years. Um, I I used to go to the Adirondacks trapping fisher. Um, which it, big woods big woods big woods the laws are a lot different um we're pretty strict in connecticut so I, I i do like going to new york i can just do a lot more things that i can't do back home um so that, that that's where i like to be is up in new york but yeah i'm from eastern connecticut um and like i said i've trapped my whole life um now i don't want to sound i'm going to show my ignorance on geography of the northeast okay that's not on the coast, though, right? No, I'm about, I'd say, a half an hour north from the coast. Okay. So I'm interior. It's pretty close, though. Well, if you would call it interior, I mean, we can drive across Connecticut in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that'll uh, work. Now, do you do ADC work, too? I used to. Um, I really don't do much anymore. I'm starting to get back into it. Um, I haven't done it in about five or six years. And you just not enjoy that, or are you just too busy with the supply stuff? Well... Or is that a question I shouldn't have asked? No, 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 it's a question that, it's a question you can ask, you know. Uh, you know, I kind of went my own way for a little while, got out of it. And, okay. uh, you know, now I'm getting back into it, you know, the last couple of years, you know. Um, I, to be quite perfectly honest, I didn't, I didn't like being on ladders. 
and all you know and stuff like that. I've done that my whole life, and you know I have bad shoulders now. I'm young and I have bad shoulders, so I just well, I didn't want to be on the ladders anymore, and and I kind of just got out of it. And I'm I tried to be the fur trapper, you know. So that that's that's you know pretty much the the path I chose. Well, there, there's absolutely now the thing about the ladders. That's that's one thing I've never that's kept me out of that forever because I think if I was like 6'4 I wouldn't mm -hmm. stand up mm -hmm. and I can't stand getting on a roof love jumping out of airplanes because it was weird mm -hmm. but the, the ladder thing that y'all do or you're like your dad does and is that's insanity it is I just don't want to go up anymore um, the last few years I, it, being on ladders has been different for, like, like I said I've been on it my whole life and going you know putting 40 50 foot ladders hanging off of chimneys and and now when I do it it just feels different, and I just, I don't know, maybe something happened, I just don't want to be on them anymore. Wisdom with getting older? It could be, it could be, it could be. You know, the more I lifted them, the more my body started to hurt, so I just, uh, I got out of doing the well, new car stuff. you're 35 and you're already having shoulder pain. Yeah. See, I'm 46, wearing a knee brace, and I've got a, I've got one, one, yeah. one shoulder that's yeah. all screwed yeah. up. I don't have my knee brace on today, but I wear one too, so. That's insanity. Yeah. Yeah, but but then again, that could also be you know walking out of the woods, you know, with a hundred pounds on my back, you know, every day for six <laughs> yeah. months straight, or you know, two beaver in your bag and carrying one. Well, I mean, dude. you're like what six six, two hundred ninety five pounds, rip muscle. I mean, that shouldn't bother you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm about hundred and forty five pounds soaking wet. You know, that's with my waders and my bag on. So, um, yeah, I just didn't want to. I, I mean, it's you know, I like it, and you know, but. I mean, the money was good, but it just, you know, kind of wasn't me. Yeah, well, then I think you did the right thing. You know, absolutely. I like being out in the woods and, you know, being by myself and, and dealing with the general public is tough, too. Very. Um, especially up, you know, where we are, you know. I mean, it's it's a little different than other parts of the country. Um, oh, mercy. Well, yeah. I mean, especially when you get more... People demand more today... Like when I used to do swimming pool business, mm -hmm. you know, it was it was during the boom when Clinton was in. Mm -hmm. Money was flowing. Mm -hmm. People were nice. As soon as that kind of got screwed up with the stock market, that's when I learned what people's true nature was as far as dealing with them. And the closer I got to towns, I got to the point where, and I don't know what Connecticut's like, that if you were a doctor, I wouldn't work for you. If you were a lawyer, I wouldn't work for you. And if you was an engineer, I wouldn't work for you. Because I knew that, that it would never work out well because their expectations were so high. And I think a Connecticut, I mean, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm saying this out of pure ignorance, but I'm saying that's probably a pretty upscale state for the most part. For the income, most part, yeah. Income-wise, yep. that would be difficult. Yeah, it's tough, it's tough, you know. The, I'm not gonna lie, you know, we are very demanding in Connecticut. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I would just say Yankee, but yeah. I'm trying to be nice here, so I won't use that word. Well, I appreciate it, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> So when you go to when you're at home, and you're in, in uh, New York Mountains, mm -hmm. what is the difference between the two as far as your trapping besides just the land size? Is there something else? Yeah, you... I get to go home at night and sleep in my bed when I'm in Connecticut. There you go. In New, in New York, you don't know where you're sleeping. Um, I've slept in trucks. I've slept in campers with no heat, um, wall tents, up in the middle of you know seven miles in. Oh my. Um, so you're doing the old Johnny Thorpe go in and stay type thing. Yeah. 
yeah, um, like I said, it's been a few years since I've done it. Um, I'm probably going to be going back, hopefully this year. Um, if my father will let me and give me the time off, I don't know. Well, you can quit and beg for mercy <laughs> when you get back, and he'll probably hire you back. Yeah, yeah, but... Uh, Just don't let him hear this, because he'll think that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, it's just the laws are different. The way the way you can do stuff in New York, um, in Connecticut, every state land we have to pay to trap state land in Connecticut. Um, and the way that it works is the Connecticut you mean like a just a, like a you have to buy a license, extra license, or you got to physically bid on. Well, it's not a bid. We get we buy our license, um, our trap. You know, you get your trapping license, and then they have. A bid for the state land. The Connecticut River, I don't know if you ever looked at a picture of Connecticut, the Connecticut River separates the state in half. Okay. Okay, so you pay a fee to trap all the state land west of the Connecticut River, or you pay a fee to trap all the state land east of the Connecticut River, or you pay both the fees and you can trap the whole state. Um, so we got to pay to trap our state land, and I don't know how it is in your state or um, everybody else's state, but we need written permission from all of our private landowners. Mm -hmm. Most places are that way. Now. In New York, you don't need that. Because you're on public ground. If it's there. not posted, more or less, you can set it. Um, so, I mean, in that, and you can't imagine the amount of roads, you know, through up there. And, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ground you can cover. Um, so that's what I like about it. You know, I can, I can just go and I can do my thing. And you never even, you never see it. You could go up there and, you know, go two weeks without even seeing anybody. That's it's, cool. Unless you go down, I mean, and then you go into the diners in the morning and everybody's sitting there and, you know, hit boots and talking and it's just a different world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like where I'm from, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you show up at the gas station and hit boots, everybody's staring at you. You know, what the heck's this guy doing? What's he about, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, maybe I guess just being around like-minded people, I guess. I don't know. Well, it definitely is more comforting. It really is. So you, you when you're when you're when you're going out to fisher, mm -hmm. that's one animal. They they release some in Tennessee, mm -hmm. and I've seen one. My dog got after one that scared my dog to death. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, it's it's when I think of that thing, it's like a tree climbing wolverine. I mean, that's how I picture in my mind, and I may be wrong. No, you're you've kind of you're kind of right on it, right with that. Um, yeah, that's exactly what they are. I mean, they have no, essentially, they have no natural predator, but but man, um, they're basically fearless. You know, you don't really have to worry about scent control or anything like that when you're making sets because they don't care. Mm -hmm. um, That's right up my alley then. And they they hunt 24 hours a day. So, I mean, a lot of bow hunters in our area see them when they're bow hunting and they're sitting there standing because they're constantly hunting. They hunt, you know, they, they hunt when they find something, they sleep, and then when they wake up, they start hunting. I mean, so they're, they're just they're, always on the move. They're, so what I'm, what I'm gathering what you're saying, they're like a mink in, in, in the, the way that they, they're constantly always checking, moving, going. Exactly. They never sit still. Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. They're always on the move. Um, and, that you know, they'll, they'll eat, you know, just about anything that they can get. Um, we released, I want to say... And I don't, it was in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. We released 35 pairs of breeding fishers in Connecticut. And now, did you not have any there before then? We had Massachusetts has always had them, um, and of course you get up into like you know Vermont and New Hampshire and Maine and all that. And of course they have. 
they've always been there kind of an eastern I remember growing up as a kid you'd hear every once in a while if somebody you know I caught one or you'd be at a fur auction and somebody would have a picture of one you know mm -hmm. oh you know we caught this and we you know you should just try to see us releasing this thing and you know so you heard about them um, but I didn't catch my first one until I caught my first one two days into our first legal season um, in 2004 that was the first one that I had ever caught okay um, but yeah, they're just like a, they're a big mink that can climb trees, and I mean they're they're just a terror. You gotta be real, you know. You gotta be careful. They can almost turn around inside their skin, so you gotta really be careful with them. And they're they're quick. And I've gone through numerous pairs of hip boots before we could keep them. You know, I used to you know release them all. So I mean, I've gone you know through numerous pair of hip boots. <laughs> you know, having them. You know, you get close to them, they tear your hip boots open. They'll so they're, I'm assuming that they're on the, your side of the chain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not backing up. No. Well, that's kind of cool. I mean, that there's, because sometimes, it, you know, you have a cat or something or a cow that kind of mm -hmm. sits back and lays and watches you. And I, I mean, it's kind of like swift fox. If you, ever, if you ever get to go out west mm -hmm. and you catch one of these little two-pound, floppy-eared, fluffy-looking things, and it's dragging a number three bridger to your side of the... the you know the circle and it's growling and cussing and you know it's like an old man it's, you get over here i'm gonna kick your butt and you're like okay i gotta turn this one yeah that's how the fishers are that's how the fishers are <laughs> yep 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 but yeah you know you know we got you know a good season on them um for i mean for such a small state we're allowed to keep four a piece okay which is pretty good you know um and uh i mean there there's not as Well, what are you what are you looking for? So if I was going to go to New York or somewhere up in the Northeast where you have okay. fisher, what, what would I zero in on? New York's a little bit differently because I when if you go up there, I can't really I'm not really going up there and scouting. I'm just going there on the assumption that there's going to be fisher where I'm going. And basically up there it's road trapping. Okay. You know you're you know every half mile. Kind of just like repetition, you know. You you know, you every half mile, you're out of the truck, you you know, into the woods, you know, pole set, um, cubby set, and then and you move on, and you know, another half mile down the road, you just keep doing the same thing. So I mean, that, so that sounds kind of like when I talked to Jerry Bailey about Martin fishing in Maine. You're just doing it with bigger equipment for a bigger weasel. Yup, yup, yup. I don't use 160s or anything like that. I'm using, actually, I use smaller traps. I'm using 5x5s. I use, okay. I like the 5x5s um, for Fisher. I think they get a good hold on them. Um, you get, you know, the, you get the jaws locked behind their ears, and, you know, it, if it gets a hold, it, it dispatches them really quick. Most of them don't even pull the sticks. A lot of them are still hanging from the pole. Okay. Um, That's good to know. I like the CTM 5x5s. Those are the ones that I use. Um, they're a little harder to find. They're a little bit more expensive, um, but I really like them. They got a thicker jaw on them, um, full ones, full size 160 springs. So um, now, since your company is a sponsor, do y'all sell those? No, no, what? no. We don't. We do. We we had them, but they're they're an expensive trap. They're an expensive, you know. Um, and to be quite perfectly honest with you, I don't know. I don't know if they're made anymore. Okay. Um, I don't know if the five by five is it. It might be. Um, so don't get mad at me if anybody's listening to this and 
<laughs> they uh, know that they're made, and I'm saying that they're not. Um, but th those are the traps that I use. I like the CTM 5x5. Five five. I, I think Bill Crumb makes a good 5x5. Five five. Um, and that's not, you know, for advertising or anything. I just... That's, no, that's, that's what, what I use. That's what I use, and you know they're a great set. Um, we can't use them in Connecticut. I didn't catch my first fisher in anything but a cage until about I don't know four or five years ago. Five years ago, all I use is cages in Connecticut. Um, we're not a we. Our land season is a coyote specific season, so if we catch any in footholds, we have to release them. Okay. Unless it's a coyote in that trap. We have to release it. So I didn't catch my first fisher. So if you catch a raccoon, you can't keep it either? If I catch a possum, essentially, I'm supposed to let it go. Wow. That is Yeah, different. think about that. That is different. Okay. So I... I well, we have to use, talking. And we have to use padded, but but as far as the fisher, yeah, I... I didn't have anybody to teach me how to, you know, we got this season on them, and I had heard here and there about how people were catching them with poles, and I knew people could have caught them with cages, because Massachusetts has been doing it for, I mean, they haven't had, you know, they haven't been able to use footholds or conibears in, I don't know what year, it's, I mean, early 90s, mm -hmm. um, they lost it. So I had heard of guys catching them in cages, but I didn't even know what to use for bait or what to, I mean, I kind of just threw it all together. Um... How big is your cage you're using? It's like I a like, raccoon cage? I, I do like a raccoon size cage, but I like them a little bit longer. Like a bobcat cage? Yeah, I like a, I like a 30, you know, eh, I like a 36 to 40 inch cage. That's just me personally. I mean, I've caught them in regular coon cages, 30 inchers. Um, the female fishers aren't as big, but a big male, when he's going into a cage, I've personally had it happen and you know we've set trail cams out on on our cages to get footage of them and stuff like that we've had it where the big males when they're going into the cage the door will drop on their back and they can back out oh, so, so i like a longer cage just so they're committed right. more um that's pretty much all that's for i mean now, the, how long is a big male a big male i mean everyone you know people will tell you oh i have 30 40 pound fisher you know you get an 18 pounder that's a good size one. That's a big animal. Um, the biggest one I ever caught was 21 pounds, and that was back when we first opened our season. I haven't caught one that size in a while. But if you get one, you know, usually it's 14 to 17 on the males. Maybe the, the females are uh, 8 to 11. About The females are tiny. Um, but like I said, you get a big male, and he goes into one of those 30-inch cages. His body... Their tail is as long as their body, so you get a big male. Um, they're you know they're they're four and a half five feet long, four feet long, you know with the tail. Um, they're you know half of that is their body, so you know when they're in a three feet three foot cage and you know they step on the pan, if that door catches them on the hips, you know they back right out. You know your your door will be dropped. You know you, and you'll have a, an, an empty cage with fisher tracks going into it. So I started using the longer cages, and that eliminates that. It gets them into the cage a little bit more. That's cool to know because my my my. If I ever got to go do that, I was planning on using. So I've got some bobcat cages, mm -hmm. and they're longer, like you're talking about. But they, the one I'd be using, the one that me and Norm designed, it breaks right past half point, which is telling me maybe that's not the right cage for the fisher because it. 
you're not going to have the full length of that cage. Exactly. So, you know, we, we like it that way. So if a dog gets in there, the dog can back out. We don't have to deal with the dog. And as soon as that door touches the back of that cage, the, 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 the cat jumps forward mm -hmm. is in the cage. But if a fisher can back out, then maybe I may have to play around with Norm to have one where it breaks farther in the back. That's cool to know. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, they're, you know, and the way I do it, I, I like, a, I like, I brush them in real good. You don't want them seeing through it. You want no light showing through the cage. Okay. Um, I like to pile stuff on top of the cage after I get it brushed in real good. Briars and stuff like that. We can't keep bobcats in Connecticut. They're, you know, they're more of a nuisance than anything to us right now. Um, we're professional bobcat releasers in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> I swear we are. Um, so I try the cats. The cats like to jump up on tops of the cages, and you know the gray fox will get up there. And so we try and you know I try and keep them um, brushed in real good. I like to set in real thick cover. The fishers will go out in the open woods, but I've watched them enough while I've been deer hunting up in the tree stand and all that. They're not. They're not really hunting. They're just going from point A to point B when they're out in the open woods. They like the, th you know, they like being in the, the briars and they want to be where the rabbits are, mm -hmm. and you know, or, you know where the red squirrels are. They like pines. They like anything that's real dense and thick. That's where you're going to find your fisher. So kind of like bobcat location. Exactly. You know, old old beaver swamps, places like that. When they freeze over, they're even better. Um, but yeah, I, I like places like that. You know, just real thick, heavy cover that you don't even want to walk into. That's where I'm setting my cages because that's where the fisher are going to be hunting. Well, see, the cage thing to me, and I know we've talked about it before, is when I went up to with John Shortland, Maine. He lives an hour north of Portland. Okay. And we're riding around, and, and my wife's with me, and you know we're looking. Of course, John's a trapper. I'm a trapper. The wives are in the back seat, and we're going to just look around, be tourists in Maine, and mm -hmm. eat way too much lobster. But but we're driving around, and he his term he kept using was an otter. I mean, not otter. Excuse me, a, a fisher crossing. Okay. And he would go every year. I see fisher crossing right here, and. And I don't know what the what the land's like in Connecticut, but up there, the way that they built their neighborhoods reminds me a lot of northern Ohio. They have two or three houses that are pretty close. They'll have a block of woods, maybe two or three acres. You know, it's thick. It's A lot of it's been cut already, mm -hmm. so it's like you're talking about. And then you'll have maybe a little field and a couple of houses or a little subdivision, but they're all broken up. It's, mm -hmm. You know, it's not like suburbia. And he goes, every year I see... Uh, this is a fisher crossing. They're coming this way every single time. Mm -hmm. They're doing this, and he goes, but it's too close to houses to to, to catch, you know, to set the trap. Because he he likes the leaning pole with the, I think it's a two twenty. I think that's what he uses. I may be wrong okay. on that, but I think it's a two twenty. He showed me. He's got a neat little uh, thing where he he makes a wreath around his trap so he can see it from the car. You know, which I thought was pretty cool. I love stuff like that. Yeah. And we got out and we made some mock sets, you know, and he, he was showing me, you know, they're coming right here. After about 10 of these crossings, you know, and you're he's driving by, and I, I'm assuming that's the normal thing up there because of population. You're driving by 10 times the fisher to get to a place you feel comfortable enough to set a trap. And I'm like, 
John, why don't you set a cage trap? And he goes, you know, I think that would work. I'm like, I bet it would. I mean, from, from what little I know about them, I bet that would work good. Yeah, you can set them anywhere. And you could, you'd you have a whole line within like 10 miles of your house. You know where they're at, obviously. That, and that's what I do when I'm in Connecticut. You know, so I'm, I'm setting in people's backyards, you know? <laughs> I mean... We have to. I mean, we're we're you know we're kind of you know we kind of got to set where we can set you know, and if that's where the fisher are, or, or that's where it doesn't matter if it's fisher or mink or whatever you know, if that's where they are and that's where I got to catch them. Then how, I gotta... how do you sell that to a, to a homeowner in Connecticut? Most of the time, my fish are trapping. They don't really mind. They want them gone. They want are, them are gone. Are people nervous of them? Yeah, they are. They you know they eat a you know they eat a lot of cats people in our area they just they let all their small animals their cats their things run and you know and they get a lot of the, they get a lot of them um you pretty much in eat when you're in eastern connecticut if you see a you know a missing cat sign on a telephone pole because of a fisher fisher or a bobcat or i mean he's been he's been you know eaten chances are well one of the things i've been getting tons of questions and i guess it's just because internet presence but all the chicken owners and duck owners and peacock owners and I mean from all over the country mm -hmm. they find my stuff just because of the, the mm -hmm. content on there and they're like and it's it's normally raccoons or bobcats a few times a weasel sometimes a mink I've never mm -hmm. heard a fisher but I would say a fisher would love to find a chicken coop I would say the same but in all honesty I've never heard of anybody losing chickens to them really I really I'm you know something they probably do but I've just never heard of anybody really saying, you know, we got a fisher killing our chickens or or anything like that. Usually it's, you know, I lost a cat or a lot of people just see them. You know what I mean? And, and they're, you know, they got small dogs or, and like I said, the fisher are pretty bold. You know, they, they're not really afraid of you or, or anything else, you know. Um, so how many traps will you run in, in a suburban setup like that? Well... We're, don't forget, we're only allowed four, four fish. Right. So, you know, I'll, I don't know. In my area, you know, I might make a, you got to, first off, you got to cover a little bit of ground. You're not, where I am, I'm not, because I, I can't, everything's so broken up. I mean, some of my properties might be 15, 20 miles apart. Mm -hmm. And that's just how it is. You know, other people have that private land to trap. I mean, in Connecticut, as trappers, we're, pretty much stacked right on top of each other there's you know if i don't have this property somebody else does or, right. you know what i mean so i don't know i'd probably make a i don't know 50 60 mile loop and i might you know run a i don't know 10 to 15 cages okay you know maybe maybe 20 depending you know and then you know once i get my four i i you know i start pulling them um that's you know i i don't think i need much more than that once you catch a fisher somewhere um you can set those locations every year. It's just like mink trapping. You know, you, you find that root that you can stuff a 110 under that takes a mink every year. Once you find an area where you where you catch a fisher, just make a mental note of that or write it down or something and go back and set that spot the next year because you're going to catch another one there next year. Okay. And then the year after that, you're going to catch another one. So if you start doing that for, you know, it took me a little while because we didn't get our first season till 04. You know, you do that for, you know, seven or eight years and, you know, okay, well, I've caught one fisher here and here and here and here, you know, pretty soon you got 20 or 30 spots and, you you know, I'm not even really, back home, I'm not really scouting much anymore. I'm just going to those same spots every year. 
and uh, just doing the same thing, putting the cage the same way, and, and every year, you know, just, just like mink, you, or, you know, you find that sweet otter spot, you know, mm -hmm. that takes otter every year. You know, it's just like that. So, so what John was saying about the crossing being in one spot, he said was it's it's the same spot every year. You're every year. So, because I've always been nervous when I hear people say that, or the bobcat will be back in four days and twenty-two minutes from now, and the coyotes on a ten-day circle. And yeah, but the fisher, unless he gets hit by a car or or another trapper gets him, he will be back. He'll be back. Um, and it usually doesn't take too long. If they, you know, you know, I know with otter and other animals, it's you know it takes a little longer sometimes. If they don't come through, it could be a month. Sometimes my traps will sit for two months before I'll connect on one of them. But with the fisher, you know, usually if you miss him, you know, he'll be back within a week. And if you get some snow, then it'll, you know, then it'll be probably even sooner because they're because they're really moving. Keep their metabolism going. Well, yeah, that's when the fisher trapping really turns on. Um, I've had a tough go the last few years because we haven't got our season is a little earlier. It's you know last I think it's the last week in November through the end of December if that's how it is, and we don't have any snow yet, and it's kind of still pretty much still warm, you know where we are. So that plays a big factor in it too. If the, there's no snow, your fisher catch is going to be down. Okay. There's just no, you know that's just how it is. You know, they like the colder it is, the better the trapping's going to get. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, I mean, they got short legs. So you get a snowstorm over eight inches, it will shut it down for a little while. You know, a day or two, but once it crusts over, um, you're good to go again. They're, that's when they, they're really moving. Now, when you're, let's talk about your cage setup. Okay. So you got a longer cage. Um... What, what, how are you presenting bait? We know you're covering it up and you're putting brambles yep. on top. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, brush your cage in real good. I'm not really worried about the wire mesh on the bottom because they don't okay. care. They hit that cage so fast. I don't even think they're, they even notice that there's wire mesh down there. Um, my bait, I like beaver meat. Okay. And I use big baits. I use a whole hind quarter. A lot of guys will use small, I use, I give them a whole leg. Um, I wrap it up in some grass so they can't see it, twist some wire on it, and I'll wire it to the back um, bottom of the, you know. Is that because of a law or just because you don't no, want them to see I it? No, I don't really want them to see it. When they're approaching, I want them to just see a big dark tunnel. Okay. Um, I don't want them to see it. I want them to be able to smell it. I want them to know that it's there, but he can't see it. And I wire it to the bottom of the cage, like the bottom corner. Because mm -hmm. um, you'll have your pan sticking up, and he can't see that bait. He's got to go up over that pan to see what's up. You know what I'm. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I do it, um, and that uh, that's pretty much it. I like coon meat. You'll catch just as many fisher on coon hindquarters as you will beaver. Seriously. Seriously. Well, there's now a use for coon meat inside of trapping. That's that's. So when I run out of beaver meat, I start using coon hindquarters, and that works just fine. You can do the same thing with skunks. Skunk. Fresh tainted is the same. Yeah, thing. that that's 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 the big thing. I person I've been trapping with people that have you know that that catch a lot of fisher, um, and they you you know they'll let their bait taint. They'll you know I change my bait all constantly. Okay. Where I am, I think you know this maybe it's just my style of trapping or whatever. Once the bait starts to get a little sour, get rid of it. Gave them a new piece. They want fresh meat. It's just well, like a weasel. It's cold. That really doesn't happen, though, does it? 
I'm changing it every couple days. Even That's why I give them such a big bait because it lasts a little bit longer too. A small bait, um, you know, you know, it only lasts a day mm -hmm. before it starts to get that gray color to it, and I think it turns them off. They want, they like fresh red meat. So, it takes a lot of bait to run a good, you know, a good fisher line. I, I'm, I start saving bait the previous, you know, the year before and freezing it for the for the following year. Have you ever thought about like rubbing down with sodium nitrate or something to keep it fresh? Keep you could keep a hindquarter fresh for a week and a half, two weeks that way. I have. Um, I've never tried it though. I've never tried it. I, I know what you're talking about and I have thought about it. Um, I've just never tried it. Okay. Um, yeah. That's just, I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> filling up five gallon buckets of beaver legs. That's what I'm doing. Well, you know, and every that. time I need one, I pull it out of the freezer. And So you're not using any lure? I use lure. Um, and I'm a firm believer that it doesn't, and some guys will probably get mad at me for saying this, it doesn't matter what lure you're using. As long as it's got some skunk and some caster in it, you're going to catch them. You're going to catch them. doesn't matter who makes it or, or what it is. You know, a good skunky lure. I always like to give them two, two lures at a set. Um, I put, I'll put my, uh, my call lure, you know, whatever it is with the skunk in it. I don't know, within three or four feet of the cage and about four feet off the ground. I'll smear it, you know, put a nice gob of it on a tree or a bush or whatever. And then in the cage, I'll give them a different scent, a little bit more mild down in with the bait. Put it right on the bait. Well, the interesting thing that I've been, I've been having a lot of Canadians and, and people that are buying, what it seems like people have done is they'll buy a four ounce cat collector and a four ounce triple X, which triple X is skunky. The mm -hmm. cat collector is real musky. Mm -hmm. They're mixing those two together mm -hmm. and they're just like raving about what they're doing. And I'm like, and I'm thinking in my mind, I can see the triple X, but I know what's in the cat collector. And that's a weird thing for me be catching a weasel on but they keep ordering it so i'm like this is so i've thought about actually combining those two just for but i don't have no, any idea how big that market is the, fisher martin it's 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 probably a little more than you would think there's a lot of guys out there that are doing it and i know when you get you know you get out of the lower 48 there's even more of them mm -hmm. up in canada i think I think that's where most of the, you know, the big fisher trapping takes place. And then you got, you know, states like New York, which is a which is a real big fisher producer. Um, and Maine is too. Maine is too. They're, you know, their um, laws are a little tougher, getting a little tougher up there for them now, but they're still a big fisher and martin producer. But you don't you don't do any type of flagging, you don't do I don't flag anything. I I I, I used to flag my sets. You know, I'd hang a squirrel tail or something like that. Mm. But I got sick of letting cats go. Okay. So well. I stopped using my flag. Well, that's the reason I use them. I'm trying to catch cats. <laughs> the, I don't... They're not as much of a sight hunter as so they, they are. they have a really good nose. They have a really good nose. If you ever get the opportunity to get somewhere where there is some snow and you get on some fisher tracks, or, or when you're, you're checking sets... You'll, you'll you'll see the track. I followed them. You'll see the tracks. You know, seventy five hundred yards away, and they'll and then they'll just break at a ninety degree angle to your set. You know, they you know once they smell it, they're that's how they're hunting. And you know, and you can tell they're coming in. You know, they run right in, and uh, there's no circling or anything. No like circling that. usually. Um, I mean, uh, occasionally you will get one that you know is a little fussy, but usually if you can get them near the set, you're catching them. 
Um, as long, you know, you just get yourself a good, you know, good, good skunky, you know, musky caster. Those are what I like. Stuff like, you know, lures like that. A lot of guys catch them with anise. A lot of guys are using anise early in the season. Anise is a really good fisher attractor. Okay. Um, and believe it or not, or really, really, before you get snow, um, I was trying to figure out a way to ki to catch fisher before it was getting cold because your take is always way off you know until you get some good snow um you want to cover up the ground um like when we were in new york when we were catching fisher they were all their bellies are full of all these little red berries i don't know what you call them are they called bunch berries or something like that but they're they're full of berries mm -hmm. and you know this is you know november so i was doing a coon job in the summer and i was using raspberry jam to catch these coons well i caught three fisher that week with that raspberry jam Cool. Behind my buddy's house. And, you know, we had to let them go because it was during the summer, but we released them. And they weren't the same fishers. Um, so early in the season, I started using, like, fruity stuff like that and started catching fishers. Keep using the meat, but don't use any of the skunky call lures. I was using, you know, like, like raspberry jam and stuff like that and started catching them. Before the snow flies, they're, they're not eating meat really as much. Um... Well, it's funny you say that. When I was in Alaska, when I first started, Alaska puts out a, uh, I'm sure they still do, and they probably modify it all the time, but there's like a, a state Alaskan handbook, and it's a book. It's yeah, like, it's like that Alaska Trapper's Manual yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And in there, I believe it was in there, is either that or out of a fur fishing game, but there was a wild blueberry mixture type stuff that they were using on martin early season yeah and uh, and i remember i made a couple of quarts of that stuff up when i was up there and i caught some martin but it was what amazed me at the time it was really good for red fox you know they would get in the pole sets no kidding and you'd catch a red fox four foot off the ground where it tight line that rope to get up to these, this blueberry. It see, I could see that with grays, but not with reds, you know. There's that's, no reds up no, there. I mean, no grays up there. That was my next question, so. No, there's no okay. grays up And these are big reds. I'm talking bigger than western coyote reds. I mean, they're huge animals. Wow. And you'd, you'd go up there and they'd be in like a number one jump. You know, wired off with, and you're like going, whoa! You know, then I started playing with the, um, putting them in, because uh, I was really trying to catch more martin i was using that blue i think there was something else in there besides the blueberries it could have been an oil it could have been an ace for all mm -hmm, i remember mm -hmm. and uh but it looked just like jelly you know and i was like well if i get hungry out here get lost at least i've got something to eat and and that's so that that actually makes pretty good sense now how do you deal with the snow with the cages well i actually like i like to get a little bit of snow on top of them you know it holds them down a little bit covers them up a little bit better um, the, there's really no easy way to deal with the snow. When it snows, you walk up to them and you pull the snow out of the front of the, you know, the doorway so the door can drop. Um, and that's pretty much all you can do. Um, could you tarp it? I suppose you could. I suppose you could, but I try and keep everything where, you know, people don't know what it is. Okay. And, you know, we have high theft in anything you do where we live, you know what I mean? If you breathe wrong, you can make the newspaper. So <laughs> we just don't want people, you know, I don't want people stealing my stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I don't want to lose a catch. You know, I've had people release them on me. I've had, you know, before I get there, I've had, you know, notes left on my cages, you know, let this one go for you, you know, have a good day. 
type stuff. So I don't really want. Did wanna, you have a good day? <laughs> not, not after that, I didn't. If it was a bobcat, I was because they helped me. Right. But if it was a fisher, then no. Yeah. Then like, no. Then no. Um. But so no, you just pull the snow out. I just pull the snow out of the front just so the door can close, and and I just leave just leave it. That's and you, it. And you don't have to worry about the mechanisms. What about on the I mean, of course, you know, I'm checking, you know, the pans and, okay. you know, making sure everything's sliding because, you you know, you do have to play around with that. You know what I mean? Um, depending on what kind of cage you're using and how it, how the hook grabs the door or whatever, I might put a little Vaseline or something on it just so it won't freeze up. That's what I was looking but for. But there's really there was <clears throat> some stuff like that. I mean, that's going to, you know, there's really no easy way around that. You know, there's... You know, you, you're gonna have, you know, your pans are gonna. You just gotta check them. When the weather's when the weather's cold and it's snowing, I do check them every day that I go there, just to make sure that they are working. Um, because I have had cages that I haven't, you know, checked the pans and make it, and I've had tracks going into the cage and my base stolen, and it's, you know, the, you know, the pans rock solid and not even moving. They stole my base, so I've missed I've missed quite a few of them. You know, before I started doing that, you know. Do you think you could pre-bait them to get used to going into something, or do you think that's just not necessary? I don't think you need to. Okay. I don't really think you need to. Um, I've tried it, um, and like I, I mean, this. I mean, I don't know how how early you're talking about pre-baiting them, but I mean, this time of year, or even you know, like I said, getting into November. I mean, they're still eating fruits and vegetables and. You know, until until the snow starts flying and every, the ground gets covered, at least where we are, um, they're not eating meat. They're not, you know. Well, I just know that when I went up and took instruction from Johnny, he even today, well, I'm assuming still today, it was this wasn't that long ago. He was showing me all these spring holes up in the mountain, which I know that yep. you've seen since you've been up there. Yeah. And every one of them, for whatever reason, has got a rock pile within like ten feet of it. I mean, it looks like a little, it, it's definitely man-made. I mean, I don't know if they keep clearing rocks out of the, in the old days when they were, you know, using those spring holes for water sources or whatever, but okay. Johnny drives down the road and, and he's using the spring hole set to catch a lot of fisher, you know, mm -hmm. the, the old timey way. And every time he sees a roadkill squirrel, a rabbit, a bird, he'll put it in the back of that uh, Cherokee he had and it was rough in there in a bucket and then he would do, he would know where every one of those spring holes and every time he'd go buy one he would he'd leave them something right in those rocks because they were within 10 feet of that spring hole and he said it just gets them in the habit of always checking always checking see i can see doing something like that up in a state like new york where where, where it's so bad. so big um but where we are you know, I mean, their home ranges are small, so they're coming through every couple days. I, I, I don't think you really need to where we okay. are, but I can see, you know, the point of doing that, like, where, you know, where he is. Just because, I mean, it's it's enormous. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, <laughs> that, that it is. I mean, you could, you could walk for days and not even hit a road. You know, it's just a whole whole different world. So I can, you know, I see I see why he was doing that. Now, when you go to New York, you're using the five by fives. Yeah. Now, what is your setup that you're using there? Just you know your average pole set. Um, There's a lot of new people that. I don't know like what you're I don't saying. I don't like a leaning pole. That's just me personally. I like a full vertical. Okay. You know something like Bob Noonan would do. You know that that's actually where I learned you know that kind that type of set with with the five by five was you know from watching Bob Noonan's video. 
Um, he or I, I I take it. I put it in a cage. You know, I built I build wire cages for my okay. five by fives. Um, I don't want them going around it. I don't want them being to go over it just because it's a small trap. I'll set my five by five. I mean, we're talking vertical mm -hmm. on a vertical pole. And the pole maybe no more than three four inches in diameter. Um, and I don't like any other trees near it. If I can get you know something that's you know not close to anything, because Fisher will climb up other trees and jump on top of stuff. And um, I like to set my trigger to the inside of the cage, if you're following me. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually take my trigger wires and bend them up at a 90 degree angle towards the top. So when the Fisher is approaching that and he's coming up the pole, there is no trigger wire. It's wide open. Okay. I want him to have his whole head in that trap going for the bait, and when he lifts his head up, that's what's firing the trap. Okay. I, I don't want him pushing on it with his nose or anything like that. I want the trap getting a good hold on him. Because Ming don't like doing that. You don't nope. want to what, what happened is, you know, when he gets in and he starts pulling on that bait, he lifts his head up and he hits them trigger wires with the back of his head. And then you end up getting, you know, you get a good, good hold on him, you know, you get them jaws locked in behind his skull, and that's, you know, all she wrote. Um, well, see, when I was Martin trapping in Alaska, I watched a video from Mike Lipinski, and it's an old video. Okay. If okay. you ever get to watch it, it's enjoyable. Okay. I mean, it's almost like a National Geographic, you know, type thing. I mean, the scenery and all that. And he was in Montana. Montana. And that's and, and what you're saying is we used, I would take four nails on a 120 vertical. Mm -hmm. Always had better luck on vertical than leaning. Me too. For some reason, I, I just think that I don't know. For some reason, they'd rather climb that vertical pole than run on a hor you know, run on mm -hmm. an angled one. And I've caught them on angled ones before, but I just found that the vertical one works better. Um, well, he he. And see, I don't know if Fisher may be too aggressive for you to do this, but the way he showed in his video, he would cross two nails in the tree and he would prune his all spruce up there or hemlock. Okay. Well, we call hemlock anyway at home. And you would you would on angles go up through those two nails you crossed the tree and you would make a complete cover over the trap and everything. Okay. So it was so you didn't have to carry anything but two nails. Okay. And it was complete roof and then you had your trap up mm -hmm. in there. And the only thing that ever really screwed up is uh, the blue jays up there would sometimes go up and try to get up in there. And then um you just had more bait really, but it, it worked. <laughs> That's another reason why I use bigger baits, because um, when you're when you're in and you're doing that with the, with the uh, with the with the you know the way I do my five by five setup, you know the birds are going to sit on the cage, they're going to peck the bait. I think that helps a so little you're using bit. Using a full leg quarter on that. Oh too. yeah, I stuff it right up in there. I give them big baits, big baits. I, I you know I if I have it, I give it to them. Um, I, I I think a bigger bait works better, and it holds up a little bit longer too. You know, especially when you're out of state or something like that, you mm -hmm. can, uh, you know, you don't really want, I, I don't want to be rebating it every other day because then I got to haul three times the amount of bait, you know, 250 miles to get to where I'm going, you know. So when you're up in, say, New York, are you strictly fishing or are you... Mink. Mink, mink and fisher. Mink and fisher. It's kind of your two. So you're not catching beaver for bait as you go. You're bringing it with you. It's all from the, I save a lot of it from the year before. You know, okay. freeze it, you know, my spring beaver trapping. You know, I'll save, you know, all, all the hindquarters, all the front legs. Um, 
and I will use the rest of the, you know, the you know other parts of the carcass, you know, I'll hack it up with a hatchet or something like that, but, you know, I like a good-sized chunk, you know, a nice grapefruit-sized chunk of, you know, beaver meat. So, <clears throat> when if you're mink and your fish are trapping, yeah. so are you trying to, are you doing the same thing for the fisher every half mile, every quarter mile off the road? Then when you come across creeks, you get out and set it. Exactly. Are you trying to set your fisher next to the creeks too? A little bit of both. A little bit, a of, little both. bit of both. You know, I mean, because the creek, I mean, there's a lot of them up there, but they are spread out a little bit. Um, so I'll, I'll, you know, set my fisher sets. You know, however I, you know, every half mile or what, how, however I far apart I feel I need to do it. Um, and I'll set every creek. Every creek gets, a, you know, two traps. Um, and I'll put a fisher set next to it too. So I'll set two mink sets and a, you know, and a fisher set nearby at every creek I cross. Um, are you a foothold mink fisher? I mean, a, a mink trapper? Or no. A no. bear too? I use all 110s. 110s? You know, all blind sets. No, I don't use any bait for mink. I, I never have. Well, that's definitely one way you could carry a lot more traps. I, up, I don't use more. any bait. You know, all my 110s, you know, I wire, I, you know, I wire them all up high. So all my 110s, you know, they get, you know, they got five foot of wire on them already wrapped. I just grab a trap and I'm out of the truck and it only takes me a few seconds to set a lot of bottom edge sets, you know, up under roots. Okay. Anywhere that I think a mink's gonna, you know, gonna poke his head and, uh, and then I'm on my way. So the root thing, I think a lot of people know, and we got about five more minutes. Okay. So explain the um, the bottom edge set. What are you looking or Explain how that set is real quick, and then what are you looking for in a creek? I'm looking for anywhere that there's, that they have to go around, you know, there, there's a bend. Anywhere there's a bend or a point that juts out, and it could be very subtle. It could just be, a you know, a small stump or, you know, a little clot of grass that sticks out. Um, anything that they when they're when they're in their natural travel breaks their path and they have to go around something because they're going to shave that point. They're going to shave every point that you know that sticks out. So when you find something that's sticking out into say into your creek or your your pond or whatever, but whatever body of water it is, there's gonna if you look down, there's gonna be a a path in the silt. You, you'll see it through the silt. Where they're, you know, where the leaves and the debris collect, and you'll see, you know, a little sandy pat, you know, that's where they're swimming when they're shaving that point, and that's where I want my trap. That's where I want my trap. I like. I'm looking for, you know, outside bends. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm looking for when I'm when I'm setting my bottom edge sets, and really no rhyme or reason to it. Um, I just set a lot of traps and I just put them everywhere, anywhere that I think, you know, a mink's gonna, it gets so, a trap. <laughs> are, you, are you catching a lot of rats when you do that? No. Is it because there's no rats up there? We don't, they don't have too many up there. Um, the last time I went up, the few guys that I was with, that I went with, they were catching rats. But, you know, in a, in, you know, a couple of weeks, I mean, 10 rats, I mean, it's okay, not. Okay, it's not enough. And we don't have very many rats in Connecticut. I mean, our, believe it or not, even with all the salt marshes and all that, our, we don't have many. I mean, back when I was growing up, I remember we did. And, you know, like everybody else, I, I don't know what happened to them. I don't think anybody can give us an answer where all the rats are going. Um, and, but we do have a couple of guys in, in the state that, you know, do, you know, they catch a few hundred a year apiece. But those guys are few and far between. You know, if, if 
I catch eight to ten rats in Connecticut a year, <laughs> I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy. And if I get a dozen, I'm real happy. They're just, you know, not there. You know, you might get, you know, I might catch, you know, one or two rats in my bottom edge sets for every 15 or 20 mink I catch. Okay. So, I mean, they're just, where I am, they're just not there. And I don't know if it's because we have a lot of birds of prey or pollution or, I think the otters really, really take a toll on them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not there. So we don't get too many of them. Well, that's cool. Well, any last words of wisdom for anybody if if you if you I'm gonna give you a question that you can't okay. answer, but this is one I get all the time, so I'm gonna have fun with it. Okay. What what is the most important thing about fisher trapping to catch more fisher? The most important thing to catch more fisher. Hmm. <laughs> to catch more fish or set more traps. That's, I mean, it, uh, there's really, like, that's really the only answer I can give you for that one is get out there and set more traps. Build your locations up year after year. You know, keep a journal or a mental note where you're catching those fish and just and go back there because that's where you're going to catch them. So you're not using a GPS? I'm no, I'm not. Where I live, I don't have to. You know, I like I said, you know, we're... What about when you're in New York? Then I do. Then do. Every time I set a trap or I stop the truck or anything, you know, it gets, you know, a little notate that, you know, I can understand. But if you looked at it, you'd be like, what's going on here, mm -hmm. you know? But everything, you know, how many traps and, and where I am. Okay. You know, and, and up there I might do a little subtle flagging or something just so I don't drive by it. But other than that, that's what I'm doing. You're not there. hanging a two foot piece of orange no, ribbon. No, like I might like I might blaze a I might blaze a sapling with a hatchet, just roll some bark down just to mm -hmm. show some you know, some of the white underneath and that's about it. I'm pretty subtle. I try and you know, I like being that way. You know. Because then you you know, unless somebody sees you you're like a ghost. Right. And that's good. You know. You know you know. That's really they know you were there but they never saw you, you know. Um, but yeah, as far as catching more fish, or just get out there and set more traps. Build your locations up. Um, give them good fresh baits. You know, you know, buy a good quality attractor from or make one, whatever from you know. You know, it's got some good caster, a little musky. You know, some skunk in it. It will work. Um, and just set more traps and just don't give up. You know, don't just don't give up. All right. Well, I appreciate it, man. That's pretty easy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I had a good time. I had a good time. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, and uh, well, tell your dad. I'm sure I'll see your dad some sometime this week. Yeah, I'll probably see him in a minute or two. I'm sure he's waiting for me. Yeah, I we'll, gotta go we'll get see over, him. man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah.